Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Landscape Nerd Podcast, where we nerd out about all things landscape. And that means landscape architecture, design, the plants, the animals, and generally just the experience that we get to have in these wonderful designed outdoor spaces. My name is Macy, and I am your host. If it's your first time, I hope you really like nature and hanging out in nature because that's what we're going to talk about today and for those of you who have been the most amazing and supportive listeners since the beginning of this podcast I just want to say welcome back and thank you and also I apologize I know that I missed a couple weeks again with uploading but here's the reason why and it's kind of the topic of today's episode When I started researching more of these topics for the Landscape Nerd Podcast, I was so enthralled. I loved it and I loved learning, but I also got overwhelmed. The topic today that we're going to kind of talk about is called eco-grief. And it's when the worry of the destruction of our resources and the state of our climate can cause a anxiety or sense of depression. And to be completely honest, there were recorded versions of this exact episode that were much drearier and sadder. And I didn't like it. That's not what I'm trying to do here. You know, I know that seriousness can be informative, but so can wonder and curiosity and pure nerding out. And that excitement is what I didn't want to lose. So being a bit of a, I won't say perfectionist because that's not true, but being a bit of an optimist, I didn't want to give you guys an episode that was dreary. Not now, not at this time. So I hope you enjoy this episode and here we go. So eco grief is a feeling, it is an emotional state. It's also a bit of a phenomenon in the sense that we have a collective understanding of what's happening to our climate and we are all, well, not all of us, but many of us have sad feelings about it. What I've learned about eco grief is that it's shared. It's something that a lot of people are experiencing. There are things that we can do about it. And most importantly, We need to pay attention to it and find a way to navigate through these types of emotions. So one of the things I like to do is find places of recovery. And that means places that have experienced these disasters and to go back to them and see exactly how the earth heals itself. Now, I know that sounds pretty dramatic, but it's pretty wonderful. So today's episode, and we're going to dive right into talking about the Oxbow Nature Study Area in Reno, Nevada, because guess what? That is where I live. And I moved out to Reno about four or five months ago. And this week, I'm officially a Nevada resident, which means that I have registered to vote. And I encourage everyone out there to get out there and vote. So that way we can have a say over the future of this country or we can vocalize how we feel about our country and what we value. And for me, a big part of that is our natural resources and our climate. So I encourage everyone to get out there and vote, especially so we can focus on protecting places like this. 
So the Oxbow Nature Study Area is tucked away on this road called Dickerson. And it is so close to downtown Reno that you would never think it was there. It's such a departure from the very bright and glamorous lights of the downtown casino area. There are Burning Man statues, pools, like I said, light shows in downtown Reno that less than two minutes away, there's this wildlife oasis. And on your way to the area, like many waterfront properties, there's this industrial feel to it. There's a lot of warehouses and gates, but on a closer look, it isn't exactly what it seems to be. Yes, it has this industrial look, but the signs on the buildings are carved out of wood or shaped out of metal, or they actually have paint adorning their facades. All of these industrial warehouse spaces are really studios. They're artist studios. I remember the very first time that I came to this area, it was last year, pre-pandemic, and I drove through a middle of an art walk or an arts festival. So I remember that these warehouses were very colorful. People were in the streets everyone's doors were open and artists were just sharing their work with everyone and I thought that was so incredible because it was completely unexpected I was on my way to this nature center and I was gifted this view and knowledge of where these artists are working and that was so great as I turned into the parking lot of the nature area which I almost missed because if you keep going straight, there's no indication whatsoever that there's a park nearby, except for these very small and few yellow arrows that will pop up near the entrance and it will direct you towards the parking lot. The parking lot is quite small, maybe a dozen spaces or so for cars, and they were pretty much all filled when I went there, but you didn't see any people. What I think is really cool about the Oxbow Nature Study area is that they do receive so many visitors, but you never see them because as soon as you park, you go straight into the trails. There's a small lawn area where I've seen people have picnics and just lay about, but really it's this place of adventure, a mini adventure in the wildlife oasis of near downtown Reno. I said this place was going to address eco grief, and this is why. I was very fortunate to speak with the coordinator of the study area. Her name is Jessica Height, and she told me everything that I could possibly want to know about the park. The reason I chose this place is to talk about eco grief is because this area has been through a lot. It is subject to so many dynamic natural processes that it is constantly transforming and moving and adapting. So the thing about an oxbow in a river is that it naturally wants to move. It doesn't stay in the same place. It moves along with the river. So an oxbow is that curve 
The Oxbow Nature Center is situated along the Truckee River. It's a river that pretty much runs through the middle of Reno. It's titled the Oxbow Nature Study Area because it is on an oxbow. An oxbow is that U-shaped curve that develops along the river as a result of erosion. It's that constant moving of dirt from the water from one area and pushing it along to the next. And it's called an oxbow because it looks like the U-shape of an ox yoke, which is the collar that was used to couple oxen together as they pulled things like wagons and plows. So this small place is a great starting point for understanding how landscape is always moving and that nothing is permanent as the way that it is. Forests change composition. They change shape. So do rivers or shorelines and lakes. We have crevices that turn into canyons. We have mountains and fault lines that are formed from pushing together tectonic plates over time. So to be aware of some of these processes happening in one place and being able to study them is pretty cool. When I came to visit the first time, it just felt kind of magical because it was this very different place in the middle of the urban area. And when Jessica told me that there had been wildfires and floods and more fires and more floods and erosion and the amount of engineering, natural and man-made that goes into showing people what nature's all about. I was inspired. I was inspired by knowing how much this place had gone through and you would kind of never know it. So I wanted to highlight it so we can all understand how we can all recuperate and how the world heals. The thing about an oxbow is that it never wants to stay the same. So like I said, it constantly moves as the water pushes against that river's edge it brings the dirt and sediment along with it and it deposits it somewhere. So the park, since it's opened uh, in the 90s, has already lost over 100 feet of land to this erosion factor. And it's not a bad thing, it's natural. However, when you want to have somewhat of a reliable and uh, consistent area to study the wildlife, you have to figure out how to slow down that erosion. And what I think the nature study area has done has been quite clever. So a few anti-erosion technologies are in place here. One, you would notice right away as you walk along the trails, there is a sideways root system. So what they did is they took these giant cedar trees and they laid them down the other way. And so they're laying across the ground and you can see that their roots are exposed to the edge of the water. And cedar trees do love water, so they are this living erosion system. Another is simply this dense vegetation. So in this riparian area, so these areas right along the rivers, there is a lot of vegetation and a lot of roots and systems that are holding the soil and matter in place. But the probably most important thing that the Nature Study Center has done, or sorry, the Nature Study Area has done to prevent erosion is cooperate with some of nature's most 
effective engineers. And I am talking about these industrious and non-stop moving volunteer engineers that are known as beavers. So of course, beavers are the hero of this story because their dam, the place that they live, also helps maintain the oxbow shape. The water will push up against their wooden home before it hits the edge of the river. And as they make repairs to their own home, it just fortifies the oxbow shape. They really are nature's engineers. And it might be much a thankless job because they have an underwater entrance to their dam and that's safe for them. And cattails in the area and other vegetation have grown so high that you kind of can't see them. So you wouldn't necessarily know that they were there unless you knew to look for them. But trust me, they're there. So when you do arrive to the study area, there are two entrances to the trails. They both first take you to observation areas, either observation decks or other structures, before leading you on to the main trail. There is an upper level observation deck that shows you just how full and lush the canopy is. When we went, the Russian olive trees were fruiting and because Reno is at a higher elevation, there is a lot of wind that you could see how the cottonwood trees were windswept and they shaped the skyline of this area so beautifully. And even though this observation deck that I'm talking about is raised up, it's really funky because you can tell that it was meant to show you the river. It was meant to show you a whole 360 view. But with the success of the health of the vegetation and the area doing exactly what it was supposed to do, all of the trees have grown up around it. And now it's more of a canopy walk and you get to see this mosaic of greens and tree shapes and structures that are quite lovely, but that wasn't the original intent. And it just shows you how resilient nature can be and how it can oftentimes surpass expectations. As you walk on the trails after these observation areas, you will come to a clearing by the river's edge. This is where people come to watch the water flow or they might even fish and it's just a part of the hiking trail. So this is where I take a lot of time to also observe just what's going on and enjoy the space because it's probably the most open of the area since all of the trails are pretty narrow and meant to help you experience, you know, nature. By immersing you into this riparian fantasy, the trails are so narrow and they're just dirt paths that you feel like someone just made it for you or that you are one of very few who have traveled this way before. You are in the middle of this dense and thick forest and it feels so cool but also a little scary because it is so closed off but you really feel like you're a part of the area and you feel like you're a part of the site when you walk the trails. I also love to stop here and do some unexpected people watching. 
like I said, some people are there to fish or they're just watching the water. But the most entertaining thing is the people who are floating in the inner tubes down the river. So during summer on the weekends, without fail, all the college kids are floating down the river. And you hear the funniest conversations while they pass you by. A lot of screams of worrying of tipping over, some flat out arguments, and a ton of profanity. So it is quite entertaining. And like I said, an unexpected place for people watching. So what's interesting about this particular clearing is that you'll notice downed trees and trees wrapped in wire and the wire is filled with leaves and debris and when I first got there I thought that this might be protection against woodland creatures or maybe it helps camouflage or it's about mulching or something like that but in reality they're actually a indicator. These barriers catch all of the debris from major flood events. So it shows you how high the water levels rise and how they cover the trails and that these flowing waters will bring with them all of this, all of this matter and just demonstrate exactly how all of this gets transported. So as that rush of water dissipates from a flood event and the river water levels slowly go back to normal, that debris is left behind in these wire baskets as evidence of the flood that took place. And it's recording a piece of history that unless we were there, we would probably miss. One of the worst floods there was in 1997 because there was an uncharacteristically warm winter and there was a lot of rain that came with that. And it was a hundred year flood event, meaning that it the probability to receive that much precipitation and to flood at that much in any given year was only 1%. So it was really crazy. But then there was another terrible flood that happened in 2017 that wiped out the observation decks and the trails. So even though that was devastating as far as recreation goes, it was still expected. The visitor center of the study area is even built on stilts so that it can withstand that flooding. And if it weren't for that area, like I said, there would be a lot of flooding in downtown Reno. So this area actually bears the brunt of the floods. It is shaped like a flood area because that's what it is. And it's kind of a retention pond. It helps, it exists to help reduce the flooding. Which is again why having this place as a sanctuary or oasis is important because the plant matter that's there, all that dense vegetation isn't only for show and it's not just for erosion. It also helps soak up all of that water that comes through in any sort of rain event or flooding that could happen. And these trees are just so vital to this area. Another thing about these trees is that some of them have these darkened bases or scarring and when you get really close you'll see that that it's char it's burn marks and I remember during my conversation with Jess that she had mentioned that they leave these burned trees to show you as as a way to show how resilient nature can be and it's 
crazy that you're standing the exact same spot where fire was raging in 2018 was there was this terrible fire and it was an accidentally human caused wildfire and it destroyed almost 80 percent of the park but the thing about nature and especially for these type of plants like the cottonwoods that grow almost six feet a year that was a moment it was a moment in that park's history that 80 percent of the park was lost and walking it now you would never be able to tell unless the coordinators did what they did which was leave evidence because that's how fast it bounced back it may leave a scar but it doesn't end it at all on this particular trip I let my son, Lincoln, lead the way, and he is only three, so he has this pure wonder and joy and curiosity when walking on trails that I definitely passed on to him, but I love seeing it from his perspective. And one of the most pure moments of wonder happened when a quail ran across his path, and also when the woodpecker was pecking at the tree just a few feet above him and how he ducked when the blue jay came sweeping down while we were walking through this tunnel of immature russian olive trees so even though this entire site is 22 acres there's only about a mile long loop and you get to experience so much in just that short amount of time that it is quite incredible so many animals that I would never have expected to see. And I think this one trip turned me into a birder. I didn't realize how many birds there were and how close they came to us when they live in this oasis area and they're comfortable and they're not avoiding a lot of the urban environment that they're used to being cautious of. And as we continue to walk along this loop, there's this part of the trail that I hadn't seen before. Animals were everywhere, but it was so quiet at the same time. It was a further depressed area. Like it had, uh, it was lower and it was definitely wetter because it was retaining a lot more water. And there were these logs tied together as a temporary bridge over this impromptu creek like you could see that sometimes it flooded and was a full-blown creek and sometimes it wasn't and then there was this other improvised walking bridge of neatly laid out broken branches so it was like a row of just a row of branches over this mud this very muddy area and i thought that these improvised uh structures were quite clever uh, I like seeing these temporary structures because it speaks to knowing that the area changes so much and that nothing is permanent, especially in an oxbow where water is moving everything all the time. So while flooding makes some of these places impassable and some areas get muddy and some areas are dry, the banks erode and the shape of the entire river will change. It's always changing, but we and the nature Nature study area shows that we're always interested in still exploring it no matter what. So as usual, you do not have to take my word for it. I encourage you to go and visit this place because even though summer is winding down, it is still marvelous in all four seasons. So if you are going to go 
and visit this place anytime soon, here are some tips. I asked Jess what her favorite experience is there. And she said that her favorite time is early morning in winter. She said that after a fresh snowfall, no one has walked on the snow yet. And you get to see all of the animal prints in the snow. How cool is that? How beautiful a picture does that paint? She says you can also listen to the birds. You can also hang out by the pond area for hours and just watch. There are some warnings and things you should know. Dogs aren't allowed in the nature study area. Unfortunately, dogs' presence are very disruptive to a wildlife oasis like this. So you really shouldn't picnic there or litter. And one of the biggest issues that happens is micro trash. You know, it's the corners of plastic packaging. It's glitter that people bring and confetti because like I said, this place is beautiful. So a lot of people go there to take pictures. And when they leave this kind of mess, unfortunately, it can really poison the area. The micro litter gets eaten by small animals and it makes them sick. So if you go there, please, no confederate, no glitter, no nothing. Don't bring props here. Maintenance is pretty limited. It's The maintenance is mostly for the building and the visitor center when it's open. And it's staffed by the AmeriCorps. But for the 22 acres of land, there are only three people who are able to pick up after it. So, so it's a lot of work. Fortunately, there are a ton of volunteer events where you can help remove invasive species and pick up trash. By helping out, you get to keep the park clean and safe for other visitors, but also it's a great way to experience local Reno ecology and it's really accessible. So if you want to learn more about this place, I would check out their social media at the Nevada Department of Wildlife Facebook page and their website ndow.org. That's N-D-O-W dot O-R-G. So now that we have a place that represents resilience and we have this sense of optimism, now we have to talk about not getting bogged down by the ego grief. We have choices of what we can do. So first is to educate ourselves on what these disasters are, how they're caused, what do we need to do to prevent them. The second thing is to spread that knowledge and show people places like the Oxbow Nature Study Area. We need to look at more natural spaces so that we, we can actually know what nature does. Third thing is we need to vote. We have the power to protect these lands. And if we do our part to bring these topics to the table and to vote in protection of our natural resources, we can make a lasting difference. Fourth thing is to grieve. Like I said, eco-grief is a thing. And the impact of climate change and natural disasters is devastating. We lose a lot in a short amount of time. And a growing number of studies show that people are impacted mentally by climate change. But for most people, eco-anxiety and eco-grief is a healthy response to a climate crisis. 
which is why we actually have to give ourselves space to feel these emotions and actually acknowledge that we feel sad. Other people respond to climate crisis by simply shutting down and distracting themselves from the issue. And in some extreme cases, people deny the reality that climate change is happening. A neuroscientist from London's King's College, Krista Mayer, stated that all of us fall somewhere on that spectrum from believing nothing worrying is happening at all to worrying that in 10 years time, everything will be dead. So a larger concern that we have is that if you don't pay attention to how we feel when it comes to climate change, not just the facts, but the emotions, it impedes us from taking action. As I mentioned, how thinking about all of this stuff while I was researching topics for the podcast kind of froze me from making podcasts. That's exactly what happens to all of us whenever we start to go through this grieving process. So we have to acknowledge it and then treat it and then find ways to lift us up and to not feel as weighed down because then we start to be paralyzed from taking action. And that's why I go to the nature study area. It is close by, true, but it also shows me that there is a model for change and that there are things that I can do to help not only my local ecology, but also by voting a national and even global ecology. One of my biggest concerns is making sure that we have beautiful landscapes to explore and share with each other and gives us this place to connect with nature and one another. So let's try not to have the grief get us down. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed listening today and you want to find more episodes, please check out the website, thelandscapenerd.com. There you will find more information about the topics that we discuss in episodes, a little bit about me. You can find out where to support either through donation and Patreon. Also, this is where you can sign up for our email list and be notified of what the podcast is up to. And I also encourage you to find us on social media. There's the Facebook page, The Landscape Nerd, and the Instagram at The Landscape Nerd. And if you message me on either of those platforms, I love to chat and learning about what you want to nerd out about. That's what we're here for, to nerd out and learn together. Keep nerding out and I will talk to you soon. Goodbye.